0: Everybody, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. We're going to our passage today to study is 1 Samuel 23. But we have a subject matter to get under our belt. I've titled this morning's message, Guidance. How does God guide you? Through thoughts in your mind, in your heart, in life, through His Word, through His Holy Spirit. Through, through circumstances that you run across in your daily life, right? God uses all different means to guide us, and that will be our overarching subject matter this morning. But first, we have a parable in Luke 18 that we want to address just to kind of ground our minds in this subject matter. But before we even get to Luke 18, just at standard Policy, procedure for studying the Word of God is just look at the context around, especially in the immediate verses, running up to what you're thinking about, what you're meditating on, um, just because it often lends thoughts that are feeding into the current subject matter. So in chapter 17, there's a passage that talks about these 10 lepers that Jesus heals from their leprosy. They have a disease that has cut them off from culture, from society. Many ways cut them off from a relationship with the Lord. They're total outcasts. Jesus enters into their presence and these 10 men are crying out to Jesus, save us, heal us, have mercy on us. They hear the testimony in regards to his words and his healings and the miracles. And these men are crying out to him, help me, right? And in this, Jesus tells the men, he says, go and show yourselves to the priests. Not healed yet, but you go, be obedient to the word of God, go show yourself to the priests. And as they go, they recognize that they're healed. How many return? It's one. One man returns. In what? Humility. Gratitude. Thankfulness. I cried out to you for help, I cried out to you for healing, and you did it, thank you. What about the other nine, are they all jerks, losers, are they caught up in the moment? We don't know, but the focus of what Jesus is attending to is your faith, young man, old man, whatever this guy's age was, your faith has made you well. And it's his faith, his trust in the nature and character of Jesus Christ as he is making himself known in the culture that he is preaching to, the miracles that the Father is allowing him to perform as as testimony that he is the son of David. And then it shifts into the Pharisees. You know, again, these are the religious leaders of the day. These are the pastors, the elders, the bishops. These are the people who know the word of God. They want to know when the kingdom of God would come. And Jesus answers, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. And he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Do you desire to see Jesus return now? This is, this is the heart that he's speaking to. We desire to see his day. You will not see it. And they will say to you, look here, look there. Do not go after or follow them. And he goes on into this teaching about some signs in the future. But in these two, from the, this passage in regards to the lepers being cleansed and this, what he's teaching on in regards to the kingdom of God, the focus, the focal point is God. The focal point of the lepers being healed is not the healing. The focal point is the healer. He is the gift giver. So we don't focus on the gifts that he gives to us. We focus on the giver. The reason why the nine others didn't return, they're focused on the gift. They're focused on what's occurred to them. I guarantee they're elated. I guarantee that even as they're going along, they're, they're praising God. But here, one man chose to focus on the gift giver, chose to come back and express this gratitude and thanks. Same thing with the kingdom of God. Do you not know that through faith in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God is within you because the king is in you? We don't focus on the the outward desire to see Jesus come and rule and reign and set this upside-down world right. We're told to focus on the king. His kingdom will come in his time, in his way, as he's promised. But we're not to get bogged down with all the different issues that are going on in the world, but we focus on, he's already told us, his kingdom is within Let me reign within. Now, in that in context, we come into this parable because Jesus is talking to the same group of Pharisees. He's talking to his disciples. He speaks this parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. And he says, there was a certain city, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now, there was a widow in the city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Literally, give me a black eye. And Jesus says, Hear what the unjust Judge said, So because that's what Jesus said, we're going to go read it. What did the unjust judge say? I don't fear God, and I don't care about the opinions of men. Yet because this widow is troubling me, I will avenge her. I'll be her defender. I will bring about justice, lest by her, continually, by her continual coming she weary me. Again, this is as Jesus is teaching in a parable. He has a point. And the point in the beginning in the title was he is encouraging us to have an ongoing, continual conversation with God in prayer. And that in that relationship, you won't lose heart in yourself, in your circumstance, in what's going on in this world. But you're going to remain grounded in your focal point relationship with your God. Verse 7. Shall, not, shall God not avenge, make justice, avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? So the contrast, again, God is not like this unjust judge. Remember the nature and character of the true and living God, the one who has created you, the one that you look to for provision, for salvation, for fill in the blank. We cry out to him day and night, and he bears long with us. You know, there's often that we're crying out to God in prayer, God, win! You ever get frustrated with God? Now, please. Anybody? Just me. We get, we get, we get turned around, and God doesn't care, and God's not listening, and God's not for me. We're going to sit in some of those ideas as we turn back to Saul's heart. But God bears with us long, even as we're crying out to him day and night. He will make justice. He will avenge us. Jesus says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. That means when God starts moving, he moves. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? It's one of my favorite questions in the Bible. And there's a way that you can sit in it and you can feel condemnation in, in your own relationship, your own prayer life. Uh, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, get your feelings hurt and all that kind of That's not what Jesus is addressing. His, 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 the question is to bring about a response in us. It's to bring about conviction for sure that if you are not in a conversation with your creator as you know that you ought to be, you don't need to abide in condemnation. You need to abide in that conviction and that encouragement. Then change your behavior. If you don't think that you talk to God enough, whose choice is it? It's yours. If you want to talk to God more, then talk to him more. There's no magic formula He is constantly there. He is constantly present. He is is that focal point and to be that focal point of our life in every circumstance. And he's constantly inviting us in to a conversation. To what? To make himself known to you. To demonstrate his goodness, his faithfulness, his love, his salvation, his provision. Go on down through the list of the nature and character of God. He is looking for opportunities in your daily life to make himself known to you. So that you will what? That you'll trust in his faithfulness. If you know that God has been faithful to you in the past, does that not give you great courage for today? And does not that give you great hope for the future? I love it. All right, this, this, this is the heart to be grounded in. As we turn back to 1 Samuel 23. As we left off last week, we, are, we witness a violent low point in Saul's life where he has issued the order for the priests of the Lord to be executed. We're told that 85 priests are executed and that the dog Doeg goes into Nob and kills men, women, children, animals. So here Saul is as king of a nation Sends a servant and whoever was willing to join in with Doeg to brutally execute people that are not, that he perceives that are against him and for the man he considers to be his enemy, David. So that's the context. One priest escaped Abiathar. As we continue on in the narrative of David's life, Abiathar will be with David in all of these as he's being chased by Saul. He'll be with David all throughout his kingdom as a high priest, him and Zadok. But at the end of David's life, Abiathar chooses to defect from David and support Adonijah. And in that, when you get into 1 Kings, uh, Solomon does not kill Abiathar, but he casts him out from his position. And that ultimately ends up being a fulfillment of what God said to Eli, the priest, all the way back in the second and third chapters of Samuel as we've been going through this. So there's a bunch of connections and relationships going on. One of the main ideas that God is pulling out in what he has preserved for us in this text is the contrast between Saul and David, but ultimately between Saul's lack of intimacy with God. He believes in God, but he doesn't follow God. He prays to God, but he's not looking to God's For God's answer, he's looking to do what he wants to do. In contrast to David, who is a man after God's own heart, who in this passage, as we're going to sit, he is constantly looking to God for guidance. We'll end this morning in another song of David in the Psalms. As we've been going through the last few chapters, this has been a season in David's life where he has been in constant communication to God. He has been penning poetry putting these lyrics down, putting it to instruments so that he would remember God and so that he could teach these lessons to others. And us, ultimately, 3,000 years down the road, we're singing his same song. So chapter 23 says, Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Kila, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Kilah. But David's men said to him, Look, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Kilah against the armies of the Philistines? And David inquired of the Lord once again, and the Lord answered him and said, I can't believe you have to ask me again. <laughs> Is it okay to ask God for confirmations? You better believe it. And the Lord answered and said to him, Arise, go down to Kilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Kilah and fought against the Philistines, Philistines struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Kailah. Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Kailah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. Now this ephod, it was brought up in chapter 21 when David originally came to Abiathar's dad, Ahimelech, that it mentions the ephod there. Last week in chapter 22, it mentions that these 85 men were wearing linen ephods. Here, this ephod, again, when you sit in the description of the garments of the high priests in Exodus, this ephod, it has multiple pieces, but ultimately on the shoulders of this garment are two stones, six names of the tribe, tribes of Israel on the shoulders of the high priest. On the breastplate, there's 12 stones, each one of these, again, representing the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, that they are to be the breastplate upon the chest over the heart of the high priest as he is an intermediary between God and the people and between the people and God. So this is the imagery that the ephod is given. The Old Testament talks about this this Urim and the Thummim. Nobody knows what they are other than One of the best ideas would be a black stone and a white stone, that these are kept in the ephod, that when you ask God a yes or no question, based upon the stone that you pull out, God answers yes or no. So you get back into David's question of they, we don't know who they are, but somebody goes to David for help rather than going to King Saul for help. Kailah is a city in the uh, the tribal region of Judah. So when they need help, they don't go to Saul for help. They go to David for help. And David, what what does he do? Go to Saul. No, he goes to the Lord. Here's a circumstance that's just come across his path. And what's David's first response? I'm going to ask God a question. Should I go? Yes or no? We think because Abiathar is there that he's using either the Urim and the Thummim or something similar to that to inquire of God as an intermediary on behalf of David. Now, we're not told that exactly, but based upon David's questions, this formal inquiring of the Lord, that's what most of the commentators think. Now, bring this into a New Testament context. Do you need to roll the dice when you talk to God? God, should I, yes, or shouldn't I, no? No. How does he tell you? And through his Holy Spirit and your mind and your heart confirms things through his word. He's going to use Jonathan in a minute to, to for David as, as confirmation to keep heading in the direction that he's going. So God will use your brothers and your sisters. He'll even use unbelievers. He can use a billboard. He can use a post-it note. He, God can use anything he wants to give you the answer to the questions as you're petitioning him. Sometimes it's wait. Sometimes it's trust me. Sometimes it's I'm not going to give you an answer. I'm going to stay silent. Why, God, where are you? I'm right here, always with you, fully attentive to every single circumstance in your life. And here for David, God, should I go? Yes or no? And God says, go. And then he gives the order to the 400 men who are with him, and what do they say? That's not a very good idea. So they're not not in line. Again, if, and David could be a total jerk. I'm the boss. I'm the general. You guys have aligned to me and come underneath my authority. I'm your captain. This is what we're going to do. Is that what he does? All right. I hear you. I hear the wisdom of the words that you're saying. I'm just as intimidated as you are. Let's go ask God again. And God faithfully gives the confirmation. David, arise and go. And that, all know, that confirmation not only gives David the boldness and the courage that he needs to know that God is telling him to do this, it also gives the men that are serving with him that same courage. We've asked God multiple times. And if they're still sitting in doubt, those are issues that they have to work out. And if you know that God has said yes to something that you want him to say no to because you're uncomfortable, don't try and wiggle out of it ask god for that help god i'm afraid i'm weak i don't know how i don't want to do this i don't want to talk to this person i don't want to do this event or activity i don't want to i you know a lot of times in our relationship with god is like i don't wanna and so many times we don't. does that even make sense we don't because we just don't want to and here again humble your heart take courage in him remember his faithfulness When Jesus looks into your soul today, does he see faith? Does he see a mind and a heart and life that says, Jesus, I don't understand, but what I know about you, I trust you, and I hope in you, and I'm confident in you. When I look at myself in the mirror, I see all the issues. The pessimism rolls out. The fatalism rolls out. This is not going to end well if I do what you tell me to do. Son, trust me. Let Jesus find faith in each one of our hearts. So they had rise and go. We don't have any of the narrative of how, you know, how many Philistines were there, what kind of battle was. It doesn't matter at all because God gave the deliverance and the victory. Therefore, David saved in the Lord the inhabitants of Kilah. Verse 7. Remember last week, we talked about David was hiding out in the strongholds. God sends the prophet Gad, hey, David, I don't want you hiding out. I want you to go into the land of Judah. By David going to the land of Judah, that exposed to Saul where David was. And here it's similar. David's in this forest, which is to, essentially to the west of Jerusalem. He goes to Kila and saves the inhabitants in this battle. And then again, David is there, and that exposes to Saul where David is located. Again, at the instruction of the Lord. Verse 7 Saul was told that David had gone to Kila. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Kilah to besiege David and his men. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, "'Bring the ephod here.' Then David said, "'Lord God of Israel, "'your servant has certainly heard "'that Saul seeks to come to Kilah "'to destroy the city for my sake. "'Will the men of Kilah deliver me into his hand?' Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, pray, tell your servant. You hear the passion in his prayer? Again, put yourself in that circumstance and in that environment. And this isn't just some rote prayer and he's saying all the right things. He's pouring out his heart to the Lord. This is what I've heard, Lord. If Saul comes here, men and women are gonna die. Immediate context is what Saul has just done to the citizens of Nob. If these people protect me, are they going to end up just like the citizens of Nob? Do you think that the citizens of Kailah have heard about Nob? What are you going to do? Are you going to hand David over to Saul? Or are you going to support David, the man who just came with his soldiers and delivered you from the Philistines? David's a nice guy. Saul's a mean guy. So the citizens of Kailah, Lord says that uh, Saul's going to come down. David asks a question, will the men of Kailah deliver me and my men into the hands of Saul? And the Lord says, yep, they're going to deliver you. That's got to hurt. However, God's faithful in answering David's questions directly. Verse 13, so David and his men, about 600. So he's increased a couple hundred guys arose and departed from Kailah, and they went wherever they could go, many places. Then it was told Saul that David has escaped from Kailah, so he halted the expedition. Now in this, in this first section so far, there's been, you know, we've seen David ask four direct questions, but here it's just very clear that David is looking to God to be his guide, asking very direct, simple, yes or no questions. Don't overcomplicate your questions, and don't overcomplicate the answer that you're looking from God. God does not need to give you a theological dissertation to explain to you why he's doing what he's doing. When I, in my imagination of the grandeur of our God, how many of you play chess? Anybody like chess? It's all about moves and counter moves. When I think about God... It's as though he has an infinitely more complicated chessboard in every single one of our lives that he is making moves and counter moves on all at the same time. Eight billion people alive today, and God is making moves and counter moves in every single one of our lives to bring about his plans and his purposes. And he's inviting us in to not be on the opposite side of that chessboard, in opposition to him, but joining on his side. He's going to bring across circumstances uh, in our lives, just like he's doing with David. There are moves and counter moves just in David's life. And he's doing moves and counter moves in Saul's life, and Abiathar's life, and the 600 men who are with David, and in the men and women and the lives that are there in Kilah all at the same time do you trust god as your guide think of how big and powerful and infinite his knowledge coupling that with he's good he's kind he's compassionate he's an avenger he's a deliverer my life is in his hands i trust you Again, this is this is why jesus's question is so convicting why would jesus not find faith in my life Why would he not find me absolutely, humbly, and confidently trusting in him for everything? I know who he is. And any time that I'm not trusting the Lord, and he gives me a moment of clarity, it's like, you're such an idiot, knock it off. Coming back to that focal point of reality of who I know God to be. Because it's not just, yes, it's a lot of the words of the Bible. Clearly, this is alive, and he's used it in my life in thousands of ways. But just my own life experience that he has caused me to travel down, watching his moves, watching his counter moves. Watching myself try and stand in opposition to his will in my life. Watching myself submit to his will for my life. I've tested all these things out and I have tasted and I have seen God is good and God is faithful. Find faith in me, Jesus, regardless of what the circumstances are. We're going to come back to Saul's little, God has delivered him into my hand comment because that is totally untrue. David, he stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness, so this is going to be to the south of where he was, remained in the mountains of the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Saul's asking God, I guarantee, every single day for uh, for David to be delivered to him, made this comment up above that God had delivered him. Saul, again, he is asking the question not of the true and living God. He's asking the question of an idea that he has about God in his heart. Hold on to that thought, and we'll get into that in a second. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph in the forest. This is awesome. Then Jonathan. Saul's son arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened, encouraged his hand in the Lord. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord— and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went over to his house. Now, just, in, just in, in what's being told to us here, Saul is seeking David every single day, and the information is not coming to him where David is. Why? Because God's not giving Saul that guidance. But Jonathan knows. So how does Jonathan know when Saul doesn't? Protection of God, Period. There's no reason for Saul not to know where David is with his eyes and ears and spies in the country other than God is the one who is hindering it. But here Jonathan knows where his brother is, where his best friend is. And God, again, just in guiding David's life, he sends a friend that he trusts. And what are Jonathan's words to David? David, confidently, My father will not find you. Now, is that just wishful thinking on Jonathan's part to encourage David in his moments of fear? Confidence, faithfulness, trusting in who God is and what God has already promised to do with David. My dad will not find you because God has a plan and a purpose for your life. David, you shall be king. Confidently speaking the truth to David's life, what God had already expressed. David, and this, this, is, this is amazing what Jonathan, because again, what, what, did, what did Jonathan's relationship with God look like in his own prayer life as he's processing through this? But confidently, I'm going to be next to you. I'm, gonna be, I'm going to support you. I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to take what is not mine. I'm going to support you because I believe and trust in God, and I love you as my brother. And here, for the third time, they make a covenant with each other. And again, it's not that they're making different promises to one another. They're reaffirming promise and relationship as their relationship is standing the test of time as both of these men have their hearts set on the Lord. David receives these words. It's not the pity part. No, your dad's going to kill me and God doesn't love. Right? I mean, it's so easy to get wrapped up in that kind of emotion. We're at the the head of a decade of David's life where Saul is seeking to kill him every single day. That's got to be frustrating. Don't you think? But God used Jonathan as a guide to the Lord's will in David's life. And David received that encouragement. He received that strength. Because he heard God's words being repeated to him. That's right. I remember what God has promised. I know that he has anointed me. And I trust in God to bring about his will in his time. Verse 19 then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah saying Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds in the woods in the hill of Hakaliah, which is on the south of Jeshimon Now therefore O king come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down And our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. Thank you for the Ziphites. Verse 21 Saul said, Blessed are you, blessed are you of the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is and who has seen him there, for I am told he is very crafty. See therefore, And take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with certainty, and I will go with you. And it shall be, if he is in the land, that I will search for him throughout all the clans, all the thousands of Judah. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the plain on the south of Jeshimon. Just so you know, if you, if you have a study Bible, it's awesome because it'll show you a map of all this stuff. This is all south of Jerusalem in a forested area, and then the further east you go, it becomes more and more desolate. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David. Therefore, he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Then Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. You can see the comic in this. So David made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines, so they called that place the Rock of Escape. Then David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds of Engedi, which is there by the Dead Sea. A lot here. One, in our mind's eyes, you're watching, you know, you got on this side of a hill, not a very big mountain, but a hill is Saul and his armies. And on the other side, you have David and his 600. And you can see that, you know, it's Again, they can't see each other. All they have to do is go up on the ridge to be able to see one another. But God sends a messenger, a guide in his moves and counter moves and sends a messenger to Saul to make Saul go and deal with the Philistines and stop, stop pursuing David. Now, from David's perspective, do you think that he felt like that that was a narrow escape? Was it a narrow escape? Saul was never gonna get him. Jonathan's words are true. My dad will not kill you. My dad will not get you. It's not the Lord's will. This escape, he felt confined in his perspective, on the run, doing what he needs to do to evade Saul. But from God's perspective and his moves and counter moves, God always knew he was gonna send a messenger on this day on this moment to turn Saul away to go deal with the Philistines so that David could escape safely. God's in control. He is, he is again, every single chessboard of moves and counter moves. Trust him. He's faithful. He knows what he's doing. Your life is in, he, he is in complete control. So just submit to him in faith. Now, Saul's comments earlier of the Lord has delivered David into my hand, and here Saul is saying, blessed are you of the Lord because you've had compassion on me. So Saul is pronouncing a blessing on the people of Ziph because the people of Ziph have turned over, seeking to turn over the Lord's anointed to Saul. Does that make sense? Like Saul, in his delusion, in his insanity, he is saying, the almighty God who created the heavens and the earth has favored you and blessed you and honored you because you have brought the whereabouts of my enemy to me. Now, are those words true? Not at all. This is, this is, this is what I want you to visualize, a visualization that I want you to see. So... John's out there on the couch, so that's one John. How many of you are named John? First name or middle name? How many Johns do we have in the room? Father in law, got John. Three of you? All right. Bethany is up there running all the slides for us this morning. Bethany is the wife of John Hall that's out there sitting on the couch. I know you can hear me, John. Now, If Bethany comes down into this room later on while we're all having our meal and we're eating and says, hey, John, how many Johns are going to turn around and say, here I am. We got three in the room, right? Now, if Bethany, we know that she's looking for her husband, John Hall, correct? But if Bethany says, hey, John, and wants to have a conversation with her husband, and then instead comes and has a conversation with my father in law, John. What are you gonna think of Bethany? Did you have a stroke? Is something wrong? Are you on drugs? Why are you talking to Papa John like he's husband John? Insane, correct? Put that in your relationship with God and put that in Saul's relationship with God. Saul is saying, hey, God. What God is he talking to? He's not talking to his creator. He's not talking to his savior. He's talking to an idol. He's talking to imagination. He's talking to a religious system. And that gets back to Jesus' initial question in that parable. When I come... Will I really find faith? Will I really find those who are trusting in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Or am I interacting in the lives of people who are just interacting with me as an idol, saying, hey, Jesus, praise the Lord, or oh, my God. When somebody says, oh, my God, are they really crying out to God in that moment, or are they crying out to an idol? Think of of all the different prayers that are offered in the name of Jesus that have absolutely nothing to do with the name of Jesus. Turn to Psalm 54. In Psalm 54, a short psalm has the title, To the Chief Musician with Stringed Instruments. A contemplation of David when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, hey, is David not hiding with us? So in this context, here David again is crying out to the Lord. And look to his words. Save me, O God, by what? By your name. Vindicate me. Plead my cause. Defend me by your strength. Now, in poetry, in the imagery that David is, as he's singing to the Lord, God's name is being linked to his strength and to his power. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth for strangers and not just people who are strange and unknown, but these ruthless and insolent people. They've risen up against me. And oppressors have sought my life, They have not set God before them. The Ziphites, they're of the tribe of Judah. They know the name of Yahweh. And David in the song, they have not set Yahweh before their eyes. They've set themselves before their comfort, their ideas, their politics, their religion. They've set everything else up as an idol above the true revealed nature and character of the creator of the heavens and the earth. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is, he is with those who uphold, who sustain my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off. In your truth, Lord, I, I, will, I will freely sacrifice to you. I will freely give you thanks. I will freely praise you. I will praise your name, O Lord, O Yahweh. Why? Because it, it is good. For he has, and this is the perfect tense. It's not just what God has done in the past. It's not just his hope for the future. But he's always, he has delivered me out of all trouble perfectly. My eye has perfectly seen its desire upon my enemies. Look again how how he's... David, in in his life circumstance, we watch him repetitiously surrender his emotions, his circumstances, his words... Just everything about him, we watch him address who he knows the true and living God to be. God, I am, I am asking you by your name, your identity, your truth, all of your revealed attributes and characteristics, by your name, by your power, I am asking for salvation, for deliverance, for defense, for provision, for direction, for knowledge, for peace. Go on down through the list of whatever your heart is crying out to God for. There he is, listening. There he is, and in all of his perfection, and all of his glory, all of his majesty, all of his beauty, moving and counter-moving in your life to bring about His purposes, to invite you into those purposes, and to cause you to be the man and the woman that He has created you to be in His image for all eternity. It's the gospel. It's your God. Saul And so many people who cry out to the name of Jesus, to the name of the God who created the heavens and the earth are crying out to idols because they don't know him. They don't want him. And Jesus is the conviction where we began this morning. When he comes, will he find your soul your spirit, your mind, your heart, in a position that says, Lord, I trust you. I know you love me. I know you died for me. I know you rose again from the dead. I know you're the king. I'm confused. I'm in pain. Son of David, have mercy on me. Trust Him. Cry out to Him. Worship team, come on up. If you want to follow along, I'm going to read out of Ephesians chapter 1, a prayer of Paul, which ties into this cry to the name of God. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith, this is uh, Ephesians 1, 15, for I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all the saints. I don't cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all.